night services started yesterday. It was a great time. I was excited about it. Um, I'm excited about moving forward and all the things that are going on. This weekend's been a great weekend, except it didn't start off well for me. Uh, yesterday, we had a delivery. Uh, back on Thursday, I called, uh, I'm not going to use the landscaper's name uh, for the, the specific reason of what the story has to deal with, but I called a landscaping company and said, hey, we need some wood chips for our backyard. And they said, when would you like us to deliver, on, on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday? I'm like, well, Saturday morning I've got free. And they said, well, would 9 to noon work? You know, they give you your kind of opening there of your, your 9 to noon. And I said, oh, you know what, yeah, 9 to noon is fine. That'll work out great. And uh, so I kind of got everything set up and ready to go. And I was like, oh, I'll just expect them to take the dump truck, and they'll dump it next to the backyard and be able to, to do all the stuff with the wood chips. Yesterday morning, the only morning I get to sleep in, at 6.45, my dogs start barking. I'm like, what are the dogs barking for? And Christy had already gotten up with two of the little guys. And, uh, and she comes in. She's like, get out of bed. The wood chips are here. And I'm like, what? No. Beep, beep. I hear the backing up of the truck. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm not really happy about that at this moment. Because like I said, I only get to sleep in one day a week. And I wasn't really excited about that. And then the guy rings the doorbell to tell us that he is there. And... Uh, if I was a swearing man, uh, I might have gone on a tirade right then, but I happened to have my Paragon Church shirt on at the time. And uh, so I, just to plug the Paragon Church shirts there on, on your, your thing, I, I, said, I said, hi, good morning. He's like, where would you like me to put these? And I'm like, I can tell you where I want you to put those. But, but um, so instead, he, he did all that, and it was very nice and good because it was still cool out while I was out spreading wood chips yesterday. But I'll tell you, it didn't start off well, and, and uh, there was something about the mentality of trying to get back into a routine of doing Saturday night and not having all of Saturday kind of free, but you had to come up here and stuff. So trying to get myself ready for that, but I'm excited. And there's a couple of reasons why I'm excited this weekend, because the countdown has begun. I'd like to show you a countdown clock right up here. It says 56 days, 2 hours, 33 minutes, and 23 seconds. That leads up to October 15th at noon. October 15th at noon will be the end of our last service in this building. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see about what God's going to do. And as we are doing yeah, I'm all right with clapping with that. And as we, as we begin to move forward and as we begin to see things that God's doing and kind of laying out there, I was struggling with what to talk about after at the movies. What, what should I go through? And I was reading through 1 Timothy and reading through 2 Timothy and saying, this would be something we could, we could dive into. But something just kept pulling at me to say, you know what we need to do? We, we have a vision that is in front of us. Each and every single one of us have a vision that is in front of us of what God is preparing to do in our lives as, as individuals and in our lives as a church. And I said, what we need to do is we need to own that vision. We need to take ownership of that vision, and if you know anything about our church, we talk about ownership a lot. As a matter of fact, we don't do membership at our church. We do ownership where we ask people to come alongside and, and, and be an owner of what we are doing, where members have rights, but owners have responsibilities and take responsibility in what we're doing. We want to own this vision. As a matter of fact, if you want to know more about ownership of ours, another plug, I did Paragon Church Church just a second ago, here's a cha chance for you to be a part next Sunday night. At 6 o'clock, we're having an ownership class. You can find out a little bit more about that. But as we're talking about owning this vision and, and doing this, we are preparing to move. And I was just back in the back talking to Miriam, who was on the schedule last night for nursery and is on the schedule this morning for nursery. And I said, why are you here twice? And she said, well, there's nobody else to do that. 
when we move and we have more classrooms and more space and all those kind of things like this, I'm just going to be very honest with you. We're going to need more teachers because having more classrooms to put kids in doesn't matter if there's no adults in those classrooms to lead. So as we see the vision and as we see what God is doing, own the vision. Own it. Say, God, you have planted something inside of my heart. You have given me some sort of gift. You have given me some sort of ability to come alongside of what it's going to take, whether it be the fact that the building's three times the size, so we're going to have bigger cleaning crews, or if you want to be a teacher, or you want to work in the nursery, or you want to be a part of the special needs program, or whatever thing that God is calling you to do, I challenge you to do it. And as we look at this owning the vision for the next eight weeks, I'm going to lay this out. I'm going to show you some things, but as we even look at that, Here's the question. What is vision? What is vision? What is it that we see? And as we see what vision is, I have a very simple definition for you. A very simple definition to this first question that I've asked you. A vision is hope with a blueprint. Vision is hope with a blueprint. It's seeing a finished product and moving forward even with small steps. You want to step outside the church? Take a look at this. If you have a gym membership, why? Some of you are like, I don't know. The other of you are saying, well, I see an end to this. I want to be in a certain shape, and it's not the shape of a pear. I want to be in, in, a, in a certain mentality. I want to have a certain amount of strength. And you see that end goal, and you are taking the small steps because you have a vision, and the blueprint is there. I'm going to give you another plug called Financial Peace University. It's a Dave Ramsey class. We're starting it next Thursday for the next nine weeks on Thursday nights here at the church. You may have a vision to get out of debt because debt is a bondage. It is something that holds you back from doing what you know you can do or what God has called you to do or however you'd like to, to be able to be a part of something. You say, I can't because I'm paying off this stuff. Dave Ramsey has a great program for you to get involved in. It's 100 bucks to start out with to be a part of this. And if you can't afford that, we will take care of that or we'll do what we can to get you into this class because it is such a freeing thing. You see debt as the vision being gone. In the process, there's going to be steps that have to go along the way. Vision is hope with a blueprint. Even missions. As we have our missions luncheon next week, and we talk about where we're going and why we're doing it. Why do we want to go out into the world? Because we've been called to do so. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? What is vision? Well, vision entails progress. It's not okay with the status quo. It's not okay with just getting together on a Sunday morning. It's not okay with just doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's pushing us. Webster's Dictionary has a great definition for, for the, the idea of vision. It's the faculty of sight, but I like this one here, number two, the unusual foresight. It's being able to see ahead, be able to see what's coming, and, and say, even if I don't fully understand it, I know that's what God's called me to. John Maxwell, leadership guru, love reading his stuff. He says, vision is this. It's awareness, attitude, and action. Awareness is the ability to see. Attitude is the faith to believe. And action is the courage to do. It's the courage to do. See, that last part there is a big step for us. How do we go and do it? Because we can believe it, and we can think it, and we can say, this is what I think God's doing. But if we don't apply it, what good is that? George Barna says, vision is a reflection of what God wants to accomplish through you to build his kingdom. Through us. God has laid that out on our hearts. The question is, is what are we going to do with it? I'm not sure if you guys are into sports or not, but I like sports, and I'll even watch Little League Baseball. And Little League Baseball is on the World Series right now. It's on TV. 
caught a little bit of it yesterday, but I read an article earlier this week about a coach. And the coach was talking about how he grew up in Little League and how he is where he is today because of what he learned in Little League. But he said, one of the things that I remember most in, in Little League is before the season even started, our coach would gather the whole team together. And he would gather the whole team together and he'd say, which one of you thinks you're going to make it to the major leagues? And he goes, when I was a kid, every hand went up. All of us thought we were going to be Cal Ripken or, or, or uh, Daryl Strawberry or Kirk Gibson or, or one of those greats, Ozzie Smith. You know, all of those. And some of you guys have no idea what names I just threw out there. They were good players in the 80s. Uh, but uh, 80s week was last week. Sorry, I, I, I regress. But the, the thing is, is, as we look at that, he said, every hand went up. He goes, so what I did as a coach, I grabbed all my team together before the beginning of the season. And I said, how many of you guys think you're going to make it to the major leagues? Guess how many hands went up? Zero. Zero hands. And I said, well, maybe it's just the reality that we have statistics, and it says statistically that 0.02% of kids in Little League will ever make it to the majors, and they just assume they're not part of one of those 0.02%. However, what is it that changed between the, the 80s? Even when I was a kid, I, I thought for sure I was going to be the first left-handed shortstop that's out there. Uh, you know, that, that was my desire and my dream. But at the same time, 20, 30, 40 years later, all of a sudden it's like, oh, we can't. What stifles that vision? What, what, what crushes the kids' dreams? What is it that we, we listen to instead of what God is telling us to do? And I look at that and I say, you know, vision, it's an elusive thing that dares us to dream big. It dares us to dream big about the future and what we could possibly do. And how often do we listen to the negative comments that says, well, I, I just don't think I can. I don't think you can. I, I don't think that's possible. Hope is vision with a blueprint. Or, or vision is hope with a blueprint. A, a, as we look at that, what is it? I mean, I was reading a blog of, of, a, of a guy that, that uh, went to church here a while back, and, and he's a teacher, and he said, you know, he was looking at all the empty desks. And as he said he was looking at all these empty desks, he, he, he talked about the fact that soon kids were going to fill those desks. And he had two different things that he could do as a teacher. One is to push those kids to be a productive part of society, or two is to not. And the vision that you see in that child of what they could possibly be and how we invest in them, man, that's a huge thing. I, I, I praised teachers last week. I'll praise teachers again this week because you guys have your first weekend, and you're like, ah. And, and uh, you know, that is just a reality. I look at my own kids, and I say, man, look, look at what the world is, is doing to shape them and, and, and the different people in their lives that are doing to shape them. How can we take that and make them productive? How can we take that? And often we underestimate the power of vision. We're going to talk about that next week. But as we look at vision today, I want to read to you a couple of people that underestimated the incredible power of vision. A guy named Thomas Watson. You may know who that is. He was the chairman of IBM in the 1940s. He said this, I think there's a market for maybe five computers in the world. Ken Olson, president and founder of Digital Equipment Company in 1977, said there is no reason why anyone would want a computer in their home. Western Union, a memo from 1876, the telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. That's how people communicate only. I had my son call somebody the other day, and he didn't know how to do it because he'd only ever text people. And, and he's like, hi. And I'm like, just talk normal, just like you would anyplace else, you know. But... It, 
Decca Recording Company. Maybe you've heard of them. They turned down the signing of the Beatles in 1962. You know why? We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. Yeah, I know. See? Yeah. Charles Duell, you probably heard of him, commissioner of the U.S. Office of Patents in 1899, said everything that can be invented has been invented. Vision. Vision is, is it. It, it, it. It's what takes us to that next level. The Wright brothers, when they said they were going to fly, they were laughed at. Henry Ford, when he said we're going to, he actually got his company together and said, guys, we are going to create a car that is affordable for the average American family. And they laughed at him. But eight years later, they had a car that they sold for $250. I wish. But they had that. And he said, here's the vision. What if they would have listened to those critics? What if they would have said no? What if they would have said, no, nah, you're right. The Wright brothers wouldn't have flown. Henry Ford wouldn't have created the assembly line and all the things that could kind of go with it with the car there. What if you had a vision that you did not follow through on? We celebrated Lily's fifth birthday and Andale's fifth birthday these last three weeks. And I look at their lives and I say, what if God hadn't called them to be with us? What if God hadn't placed that vision in our hearts to go and get them? What would their lives be like? What would their fifth birthday be like? And I'm not saying that to brag on us in any way. What I'm saying is, is God has put a vision out there. What if we don't answer it? What if we listen to the naysayers? What if somebody said, well, you can't do that. You can't afford that. You can't. You, you don't have the abilities. You know, all of those things are things that, that we pull together, and we have to understand as a church that, that we have individual gifts, we have individual abilities, we have individual visions that come together with God's overall vision. I heard a quote this week that I thought was perfect for football season. It said this, the average church today is like a football game. You have 22 players in desperate need of rest being watched by 70,000 people in desperate need to exercise. That's the church. We only have a handful of people that are just desperately working the nursery on Saturday night and Sunday while everybody else is like, hey, good job. Praise God for that. You know, we have to take a step. What is God calling you to do? So the first question I have for you is, what is vision? The second one is, is how do we get that vision? How do we see that vision? And even more so, how do we understand the vision that's given to us? How do we understand that vision? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to seek God for direction. We have to seek God for direction. And it almost sounds difficult. It almost sounds dramatic. It almost sounds like I could write a book on, oh, The Will of God for Your Life by Matt Sellers, Your Best Life Now by somebody else. You know, there's, there's all of these things that we, we say, well, I, I think that I have to, you know what? I'm going to be very honest with you. We make it a whole lot more difficult than it needs to be. Because God has already laid out what he wants us to do. He's been very clear with what he wants us to do. Our thing is, is what are we going to do with it? See, when you grab this Bible and you take a look inside this Bible, it, it has verses galore on what God has called us to do. And I'm going to scream through these so you can grab my notes if you want to, or I can, uh, it'll be up online this week and you can hear it again. But let's start out with the verse that we've talked about over and over and over again, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
pretty clear on what he wants us to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. says this in verse 11. Therefore, knowing fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Our job is to persuade others. But we, what we are no, is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about the outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, if you're crazy, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ, it controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, uh, that all those who live might no longer live for themselves, but instead live for him who for their sake died and was raised. Who are we supposed to live for? Ourselves or for Christ? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, guess what? He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself. And guess what he gave us? What does that say there? The ministry of reconciliation. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Reconcile people to Christ. Go and make disciples. Reconciliation. Ministry is to serve. That's what that word actually means. And that is in Christ God, he was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and trusting us to the message of reconciliation. He's also given us that same message. Therefore, we're an ambassador for Christ. You know what it means to be an ambassador? It means to be a representative, to live for him. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You want to know what God's will is for your life? If I haven't made it clear enough, Mark 16, 15. says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 14, 23, and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Mark 13, 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. You want to know what you're supposed to do? Go on mission. The mission is our life. Every day we are representatives of Christ. We have a vision to be on mission with our lives. We take that out. And you know, we're supposed to seek his direction. How do we do it? How is your life going to be different than my life is? Because guess what? I hang out with different people than you do. The people you hang out with, though, are your mission. We're supposed to be reconciling them to Christ. As I look at that and I think about that, our first response is, well, I'll I'll do it later. Can I just tell you something? When my kids get a command and they say, I'll do it later, Camden, you're in the back back there. Would you like to explain to people how I respond when that kind of word comes out out of your mouth? You say, I'll do it later, Dad. My response is, is, no, you won't. You're going to do it right now, and you're going to like it. Doggone it. Now go get the shovel. Go get a bag, because that poop needs to be picked up. You know, that, that is, is the reality of it all. And sometimes we look and say, well, God, but I'll do it later. He says, no, time is getting shorter. It's not getting longer. My return is coming sooner than later. And I look at that, and I say, you know, there, there's this idea. Uh, 350 years ago, there was a, there was a group of settlers that, that landed in the, the northeast of, of America. And they sailed across the entire ocean to get here. 
to set up a community. In the first year of their community, they elected, uh, uh, they set up the town site. The next year, they elected a town government. The third year, the government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. The fourth year, the people got together and wanted to impeach and take out the government officials that were in the way because they thought it was a waste of money to go five miles into the wilderness. Why do we need to go any further? These people just sailed across the ocean. And now they don't want to go five miles further because they're happy where they're at. Let me just tell you something. Our goal as we move into that building in 56 days, two hours, and however many minutes and seconds that are left, as we look at that, we have to realize that is not our goal. That is not the end. That is not the pinnacle. That is merely a place where we are going to take the gospel out from. And we are going to have the opportunity to have a little more space to be able to do a little more things, to reach a few more people who then in turn can reach a few more people who then in turn can reach a few more people. That is what we are here for. That is what we do. We're not here to occupy a space. We are here to go and make disciples, to go proclaim the gospel, to go be reconciling people to Christ, to go. That is what we are supposed to be doing. You might think, well, why? Why now? Well, because God's called us from the time that he came and sent his son to live here and tell us these things. And let me tell you something. This world isn't getting any better. I told you one of the things I was thinking through was either 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy or both of them to, to kind of roll through. And so I was reading through those chapters, and as I was reading through those chapters, a couple of verses stood out to me. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 says this, but understand this, that the, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pre- pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Those last three words there are something that we'll talk about when we do get into 2 Timothy. Avoid those people. And I looked at that and I said, you know, if I turn on the news, does that describe that particular passage? A story came out this week from CBS News that ripped me up inside. And maybe you've seen it. I've seen lots of people repost it on Facebook and so on and so forth. But CBS News is celebrating Iceland and their desire to eradicate Down syndrome and how well they are doing at that. You know how they're doing it? Genocide. They're killing them in the womb. And they're finding out they have Down syndrome, and they find that they're not a productive part of society, at least so they say, and they're celebrating this. And people in the comments are like, congratulations, Iceland. We live in a sick and twisted world, in a self-centered, self-loving, self-conceited world, and we need to take the gospel to that world to see that it is not about you. To share that, that Christ came to save you from yourself. And, and we see that, and, and, I, and I look at that, and I say, God, you've given us a vision to go and be a part of changing lives, to be a part of a body that is your church, not just Paragon Church, but the church, to go and make a difference in this world. But too often, we don't want to go that extra five miles into the wilderness because it might cost too much, and it might be a little too dangerous, so we're happy with our little township that we have right here. We have to stop that. And the thing is, is we get that direction, we seek that direction from God. The next thing we need to do is we need to trust Him in that direction. How many times has God let you down? My guess is, is never. 
But yet, every time he calls us to do something, we say, well, God, I just don't think you're going to come through. God, I don't think you're going to be that thing. And, and, and we say, I don't trust you, God. That, that has got to be one of the hardest things for God to deal with with us, is our lack of trust. Our lack of trust. We are afraid to do what God has called us to do. My thing is, is don't. Don't be afraid. If he's called you to do something, he's not only called you to do it, but he's also empowered you to do it. That's what we talked about with Joshua last week as he stood on the edge of the Jordan River, steering across at all the things that he had as an excuse to keep doing what he'd been doing, but instead he followed on, he pushed on, and he moved on, and he did exactly what God did. Why? Because in Joshua chapter 1 it says, Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Guess what? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we already read. In the end of verse 20, it says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is with us. We can trust him. We can move forward. We can go in that way. What seems impossible is not. When we look at what Christ has told us, Luke 18, 27, he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Mark 9, 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Psalm 37.25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Why? Because God always comes through. Many of us live as if God's word isn't true. As if God doesn't come through always. See, I talked about vision. And vision's a great thing, but when we tunnel that vision down, and we're focused on one thing, and we're missing all the other things that God is doing, and how God is working, that's not a good thing. We have a tendency to get locked in on we see what we want to see, until our eyes are open to something different. I'll give you an example of this. This week, we bought a third car for our house, because we have a third driver that's going to be in our house. And that third car is a 1997 Mercury Grand Marquis. It's a large car. It's got 52,000 miles on it. It's a cherry little old lady car that she drove to church and just into uh, into the supermarket, and that that was it. That that's all she had, and she sold it, and it is it is in primo condition. And we bought it this week, and as we uh, we bought it this week, something happened, and maybe you've experienced this as well. I see Mercury Grand Marquis all over the road now. All of a sudden, you're like, hey, they have one. Hey, they have one. That's a big car. Hey, they have one. They have one. And maybe when you bought your car, you start seeing the same car that you bought. You never realized that that car was so popular until you owned it. You didn't have your eyes opened to what was out there until you had one. Same thing in, in all of our lives with whatever it might be. I mean, you name it, it probably, when you get involved in, in football, you don't care that much about football until you're involved in it. You don't care that much about different things until you're fully involved in it and immersed in it. How do we move in that direction? What do we do? And I started thinking about that too. Not only do we see what we want to see, but we only find what we're looking for. I'm not sure if you guys play Legos. I have the excuse to play Legos because Peyton plays Legos, okay? So, so I, I have that built-in thing. But here's the deal. When, when you're doing Legos or you're building a project and you have all the pieces laid out there, there's always that one little one that's got the little two dots on it. It's a little flat piece, and you move it constantly. It's always in the way while you're playing Legos until you need that piece, right? Because you found it a thousand times, but you weren't looking for it then. It's when you have to find it. That's when you're like, oh, I can't find it. It's in here somewhere, and you're scrambling all around. And that happens in our lives. We don't find anything except unless we're looking for it. And, and, and we don't care about it until we're looking for it. What is the vision that we're chasing after? 
I heard a quote this week on the radio from St. Augustine. It said this, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. And I went, whoa, that hurts. Because that's exactly what it is. I like the idea that I'm saved. I like the idea that Jesus came. I'm not quite as fond as the idea of going out and making disciples. I like what I want. I don't on the other side. I'm not believing the gospel. I'm believing myself. And guess what? We like to believe ourselves. You know who the best salesman in this room for you is? You. Because you can convince yourself on whatever you want. And you can convince yourself on whatever you don't want. You know, you can talk yourself into something. You can talk yourself out of something. We can convince ourselves of the power of that vision. Or we can also convince ourselves to say, just keep your eyes closed. Be happy where you are because we don't want to push. We don't want to move that next thing. There's a story I read a couple weeks ago about a missionary. And it's an amazing story. She, she, her name was Gladys Alward. And she was a missionary to China in the early to mid-1900s. And as a missionary to, excuse me, a missionary to China, she, she was working with a woman who passed away, and she began to, to build up this orphanage. She began to see kids on the street and build up this orphanage. Well, in the process, in 1938, she lived in a town called Yanchang, and as she was living in Yanchang, the Chinese were invaded by Japan. And when Japan came in, that was one of the first cities they went after. So there was a mountain range on the other side was still free China, and she had to get all of her orphans, over 100 of them, with one assistant over the top of this mountain. To, to free China. And she didn't think she could do it, but she knew she had to. So she began to lead all these orphanages through this mountain pass. And the mountains there aren't light. It wasn't like there was a road to walk on. It wasn't any of those kind of things. It was cold. It was miserable. And she had a night where she just thought she couldn't go on anymore. Her story's recorded, and this is what it says. As she had that sleepless night, and she faced that morning of no hope of reaching safety, a 13-year-old girl in the group reminded her of, of the much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Gladys' response was, I am not Moses. And the little girl said, of course you aren't, but Jehovah is still God. Trust God. God is still God. Whether we think we can do it or we think we can't, we're probably right. But God doesn't change. He's still God. He's laid a vision out there for us, and we need to chase after it. We need to continue to go. God is still God. We can trust him. How does that look in your life? How does that look in your life? Somebody asked Christy a question this week. They were sitting in their meeting, and they were talking about the adoption. We've had the opportunity to adopt three kids, and in the process of adopting three kids, each one of them were not cheap. And they said, why did you do it, and how did you pay for it? And Christy's response was, we didn't pay for it. God did, because we couldn't. The reality is, if you have a vision that is out there, and you're saying, hey, I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know why we're going to do it. I don't even know how we're going to pay for it. If God has called you to it, he's going to bring you through it. He's going to walk with you in it. We can trust God, which leads to the next thing. We need to be persistent. We need to be persistent. We can't allow anything to come between us and the vision, not even ourselves. Because Satan has this amazing way of whispering in our ear, doesn't he? To tell us, hey, you can't do it. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. The challenge is too big. There's no way you can do it. Nobody's going to come to it. Nobody's going to be a part of what you're trying to do. Nobody, all these things, they're afraid of the outcome. And in a couple weeks, we're going to dive into, as we're talking about this, own the vision, we're going to talk about fear versus faith and how fear is a liar. 
and we're going to dive into that. But there's constantly this just nipping in our ears, telling us that we think that we can't do it. But God says, go. Don't be afraid. Don't stop. Don't give up. Be persistent. You know who's been teaching me a lot about persistence? My daughter. Actually, both of my daughters. But Mayla's like, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. And there's generally something that's after her, but I've tuned her out by that point in time after I've heard, hey, dad. And, uh, and, but she's constantly, 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 and finally, like, what, whatever. And sometimes I think we need to be that way with God, like the persistent widow. Hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, father, hey, father, hey, father. You've called us to it. Bring us through it. The persistence of prayer. Persistence leads to perseverance. Maybe you've heard of John Wesley. Found this illustration. I thought it was very interesting. It's a page from his diary. It says this. Uh, it says, Sunday morning, May 5th, I preached at St. Anne's was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m., May 5th, preached at St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Saying Sunday morning on May 12th, preached at St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday p.m., May 12th, preached at St. George, kicked out again. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached at some St. Somebody's and a deacon called special meeting, and they couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19th, preached on the street, got kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., May 26th, preached on the meadow, chased out of the meadow by a bull that was turned loose during the services. Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached at the edge of town, was kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon service, preached in a pastor, 10,000 people came to hear the Lord. Persistence leads to perseverance. Her perse- perseverance leads to seeing God do what he wants to do. And we look at that and we say, we, we let our past failures get in the way. We, we say, well, God, you don't understand. Look what I've done. L- look who I used to be. Well, th- there's this great example in the Bible of a guy named Paul. Maybe you've heard of him. He, he was an apostle. He wrote most of the New Testament there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he writes in Philippians chapter 3 these words, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's where the change takes place. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. How many of us don't forget what lies behind? And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize, the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We need to be persistent because persistence leads to perseverance. We need to stop looking back and we need to look forward and we need to be passionate for things, for that vision. I hope you're hearing the passion and what I have in my heart to see what God is going to do. I am so excited. I look across here and I see empty seats and empty seats for a pastor are always like, hey, there's people missing out what God has to say today. And I'm looking forward to the day that, that we don't have empty seats, that, that we have standing room only, that we have to say, hey, guys, we need to start another church, and we need to get this same thing going in a different area of town or whatever it might be, and I'm hoping it's sooner than later. I'm hoping that we, we make those moves because we want the passion. We want to see our friends come to know Jesus because that is what it's about. It's not about having a number. It's not about going to the next conference and saying, well, how many people did you have this last Sunday? How many people did you have? No, it's how many people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, got baptized to say, I am willing to follow him and do what he's called me to do. And then we go see the world change because of those people doing what God has called them to do. 
And I think about this, those same words, those same guys named Paul that I told you about, Romans chapter 9, I am speaking the truth in Christ that says, I am not lying, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I could, that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I wish I could give up my salvation for all the people that I know just to meet Jesus. I would be willing to do that if they would just come to Christ. I'd be willing to have an eternity in hell if I could just get my friends to have an eternity in heaven. That is passion. What is our passion? What is our desire? We need to have a desire. We need to have a passion. We need to take ownership because God has given us something. And he's not shaming us into doing that, saying, you have to, you have to, you have to. He's saying, you should want to because I have given you everything in my son, Jesus Christ. You should be willing to respond in love to say, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? And that's what we need to figure out. And the crazy thing is, is, is I, as I look at our lives, and who do you live for? What is it that we live for? What is it that we are devoted to? This last week in our men's Bible study at 6 o'clock on, on uh, Friday mornings, I'm doing a lot of plugs this morning, by the way, but uh, the, on 6 o'clock on Friday mornings, our men's Bible study has been going through the book of Acts, and Acts is so much better than Ecclesiastes to wake up to in the morning because there's so much excitement that you see what God is doing. And I'm not saying that, that Ecclesiastes is bad. It just every morning I woke up and said, yeah, God, you're right. I suck. And, uh, and, uh, and the, the other part is, though, with the book of Acts, you say, look what God is doing. Look at how he's doing it. And in the, the verse 42 of Acts chapter 2 that we are in, a word stood out to me. Let me read you the passage, and then I'll tell you about the word that stood out. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking the bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I look at that and I say, what an amazing thing that we see, but how did it all start? Well, it starts with the Holy Spirit, and then it shows that these guys were devoted. They devoted themselves to the teachings, and they devoted themselves to the praying, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship, and they devoted themselves. What does that word devoted mean? Well, I'm not a big Greek guy, but thanks to the internet, it, it helps explain words in the Greek for you, so I sound really smart. So this is what it says, and I'm probably going to butcher this word, but it's prokar- uh, sorry, proskartiario. And it's a compound verb consisting of pros and cartierio, meaning pros, toward, and cartierio, to be strong. To be strong towards. What's it mean to be devoted? It means to be strong towards whatever that vision is that we have. What are you devoted to? What in your life are you devoted to? What is it that you are strong towards? What is it that you have a passion for? What is it you have a desire for? What is it that you want to see take place? What is God using you for? My thing is, as I see it, it should be, first and foremost, Christ. But is that the truth? And as we see this vision, there's such a power in it. And next week we're going to talk about the power of vision. And we're going to talk about how vision gives us passion and how vision gives us motivation and how vision helps us form priorities and how vision gives us a purpose. And we're going to talk about that next week. I'm just giving you a little teaser on that. But here here it is. The question I have for you, 
as you have this vision, as you see this vision, are you understanding what God is calling you to? And as you understand it, I challenge you to say, how can I make this a part of both my life and the life of the church? This vision that God has given you. Because each of us in this room has been given, while the same vision, a different how to accomplish it. How can you accomplish it in your life? How can you accomplish it here? Understand the vision. Understand the vision. Seek God's direction. Trust Him as you seek that direction. Don't let anything get in the way and get passionate about seeing that vision carried out. That is my challenge to you today as we continue to move forward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do. And even the way that you speak to us through a text that is thousands of years old. Through a text that, that many would say isn't relevant today. But we can look at that text and say this is explaining today just as much as it did 2,000 years ago. How it's challenging us to go into this world, to, to take what you've given us, to, to take the place that you've put us. We're in New Mexico, in our job, in our school, in this place today for a reason. It's not by accident you have us hearing your message today. It's not by accident that you have us being a part of what you are calling us to do. The only thing is that you are waiting for us is a response. How do we respond to this? How do we move forward with this? How do you change our lives with this? And God, you are speaking to each and every heart and here in a different way, in a different attitude. You've placed people in our lives. You've placed things in our lives. You put us in the house for the apartment that we live in for a reason. You put us in the school or the job that we have for a reason. You've put us in the family you have for a reason. How can we take your vision of seeing this world change and make it our own? To make it our own. That we take ownership of it and we say this is what we are called to do. To see you glorified through us. God, you're working hearts and minds in here right now, and I don't know where you're at. I don't know who you're speaking to. I don't know what part there is. But first, it starts with having a personal relationship with your son, Jesus. And having that relationship changes our lives. Just like we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it said that we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come because you have come into our lives and what you've made dead alive. If there's somebody in here today, God, that doesn't know that, I pray that today is the day they meet your son. But it doesn't stop there. For those who have met your son, we have a mission. We have a vision. Help us to carry it out, even as we leave this place today. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you about who Jesus is. I'd love to talk to you about the mission that we have. I'd love to talk to you about the vision that we have. Uh, and taking ownership of that and how you can be a part of it. I'll be down here in the front as we sing this last song.